I'm always encouraged when struggling with the sore throats. Uh, what's happened uh, to John Stott when he took a student's mission in Australia? Uh, he had laryngitis and he couldn't even speak properly. All he could do uh, was croak uh, the gospel. And uh, he used to say, uh, after that uh, service, he received countless letters for years and years afterwards of people that had been spoken to and saved in that service. So if the gospel can be croaked, uh, and it is the power of God and to salvation, even through that, uh, then let us be encouraged. Now, we're in the middle of this conversation that the Lord is having with the religious leader of the Jews, Nicodemus. Not just any religious leader, he is the teacher of the day. And he is a very moral man, a Pharisee. And Jesus says to him, listen, you need to be born again. You can't even see the kingdom of God unless you have a work of the spirits. Unless you're born of the spirits, you cannot be a Christian. Every conversion is a miracle, a supernatural event. So the Holy Spirit. How does the new birth happen? It's all possible because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So not only is salvation all of the spirits, it's all of Christ. And that's what we looked at last time we were in this passage. Jesus used an event that Nicodemus was very familiar with, Moses lifting up the bronze serpent in the desert so that the people that had been bitten, if they just looked at the bronze serpent, they would be healed. And Jesus says, look unto me and be saved. Don't try and save yourself. I've done it for you. Salvation is of the Lord. And now, this morning, we're coming to the climax of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. The same verse as we looked at in the children's talk. Verse 16 of John chapter 3. We're only going to skim the surface. God so loved the world. God the Father now. So the Holy Spirit brings the new birth. God the Son brings salvation. And now God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Martin Luther said, this verse is the Bible in miniature. If you want to know what the gospel is, there it is in a nutshell. There's enough in that verse for you to be saved. I remember somebody telling me that the most powerful sermon they ever heard in the open air was a preacher simply repeating this verse. I believe there's enough here for the Holy Spirit to save a person through. So even if we stopped there this morning, you could still be saved. 
let's see if we can go a bit further than that. What we have here is not just a statement about God is love, but it's about the fact that God's love caused him to do something. Do you get that? The love of God is a giving love. So our message as a church isn't just God loves you. That's not enough. But that God so loves you that he's given something. That's what we're going to look at. Uh, And I don't think we'll finish it this morning. This gift of God. If a person loves you, they don't just say it, do they? They show that love by showering you with gifts. Well, it depends how much the person loves you. (laughs) And I want us to look at this gift of God's Son. How can God ever love somebody like me? Do you feel like that? Maybe uh, this is your first time in church and you feel a bit of a fraud. I shouldn't be here. I'm not the right kind of person for God to be interested in. Well, none of us are. Aren't we all frauds in a way? And maybe what we're doubting this morning is how can God love somebody like me? I'm just too bad for God and I don't even feel my sin enough. And that makes me worse then. But this is the glorious thing about the love of God. He loves and he's given something to prove that. I don't want anybody leaving this service this morning thinking that God doesn't love them. Oh, he does. Now then, when you receive a gift, we've all received gifts. It's not just when we were children. Uh, We don't grow out of receiving gifts. And what's the first thing you do when you receive a gift? Think of a Christmas present. It wasn't that long ago, was it Christmas? What's the first thing you do? Can I say this? One of the highlights of Christmas Day for my family, because I always go to uh, my extended family in West Wales. Um, My sister has children, and uh, it's always good to uh, see them and have fun. Even pastors have fun. And the highlight for them is when I bring all the different gifts from the kind members of this church. And my sister's children, they really look forward to opening the the gifts. It's the highlight of their Christmas day. What a witness. Now, the first thing you do when you receive a gift is see who has sent it. Who is it from? So that's the first question I want to ask when we look at this gift of God. Who is the gift from? Because if a person is sending you a gift, they must love you. Otherwise, they wouldn't show their love. Well, we're told, aren't we? For God so loved. God the Father. Now, let me say this. Maybe you're here this morning and you know the Bible well enough to realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And maybe you're thinking that there's tension between the love of Christ. Yes, Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. 
I don't doubt the love of Jesus Christ for me. But my problem is this. Does God the Father love me? Because I hear of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, and then it's as if the Father has to be pacified. Yes, the wrath of God has to be pacified. God is just. God can't just wink at sin. God must punish sin. When we're thinking of the love of God, God is love, but love isn't God. The love of God isn't something nebulous. It isn't something vague. It's a holy love. It's a pure love. And God the Father cannot just accept anybody into heaven. Sin must be punished. That's why God the Son, Jesus Christ, came. That's why he died on the cross. But there's no tension between the love of Jesus Christ and the Father. Even though the Father must be pacified in terms of his justice, there's as much love in the Father towards you as there is in the Son. Sometimes in the Welsh hymns, I can say this because I love the Welsh hymns, but not to a fault, sometimes they give the impression that Jesus Christ has to plead before the Father in such a way that it's like there's something missing in terms of the love of the Father towards us. Oh, no. For God the Father so loved the likes of you and me that he gave his Son. There's no dichotomy between the love of the Father and the love of the Son. They both love, and the Holy Spirit as well, with the same degree. So, here is something wonderful. Come, let us sing of a wonderful love. It is wonderful, isn't it? The love of the Father. In the original Greek, the verse doesn't start with for, it starts with so. So, God, the Father, loved. Don't listen to the devil when he whispers in your ear that God is hard. He's not. He's just, yes. But he's love. We can never, ever think of the Father's love as something too great. Let's, let's try and measure it. Can you try and measure the ocean? You can't, can you? Uh, you can measure uh, the pool in the middle of Heath Park. Have you seen that pool in the middle of Heath Park? It's not very big, is it? It's not very clean either. But, but you can measure that. But you can't measure the Atlantic Ocean. Here is love. Vast as the ocean. Superlatives. Aren't enough. What's superlative? Superlative is a word that describes something as amazing. So, for example, when I got my coffee the other day, my Americano, which I very much enjoy, the person serving it said to me, awesome. That's a superlative. I don't know what's awesome uh, about an Americano. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> Even if you're a coffee lover, I don't think you, you can use the word Awesome to describe a coffee. But awesome isn't enough to describe the love of God the Father. 
I think that's why there are so many hymns celebrating the love of God the Father. Because you can use poetry where reason fails, where reason fails with all her powers. Their faith prevails and love adores. And so poetic language can help us, but it still only skims the surface. So we sang, didn't we? Oh, love of God, how strong and true, eternal and yet ever new. How can that be? How can something be eternal? I'm 52 years old, but I'm not eternal, am I, in terms of uh, my age? I was born 52 years ago, but I don't feel ever new. I feel ever old. But God and his love is from eternity and it's as fresh today as it was in eternity past. Uncomprehended. You can have a degree in theology. You can have a master's in theology. You can have a PhD in theology. But you still won't have plumbed the depths of the ocean of God's love. You're still only paddling in the sea, uncomprehended and unbought, beyond all knowledge and all thought. O love of God, how deep and great! It's a bottomless ocean, far deeper than man's deepest hate. It doesn't matter how hard you are this morning, how bad you may feel yourself to be. You're not too bad, you're not too hard for the love of God. Self-fed, self-kindled like the light, changeless, eternal, infinite. It doesn't matter how dry things can get spiritually. It's never going to dry out the love of God. The love of God is as flowing today as in a time of revival. It's ever the same. It's the one constant. We are up and down. The love of God is the same. Isn't that encouraging? When we love a person, uh, for example, if we shower somebody with gifts, it's usually because we see something in them to love. It's not like that with the love of God. There's nothing in us. We'll come to this in the second point. There is nothing in me to win his favor. Love to the loveless shown. That's why there's hope for everybody here this morning. Now, we may think, if we know the gospel, that we've said everything that needs to be said about the love of God the Father in John 3.16. We haven't. One of the greatest gospel preachers this world has ever seen was D.L. Moody. You've heard of him, haven't you? He was an evangelist in Chicago in the 19th century, and he did something which you should never do. He invited a man to preach in his pulpit he'd never heard before. And he was away during the week when this man was preaching, and he asked his wife, how is he getting on? And his wife said, it's wonderful. What did he preach on, Moody asked. The first night, it was a mission week, John 3.16. Second night, John 3.16. The third night, John 3.16. And he went on every night, preaching from the same verse. And then Moody was free the last night of the mission, so he attended. And this visiting preacher started by saying, I have been looking for a text all week, and I haven't been able to find a better one than John 3.16. I will just talk about it one more time. <laughs> and he still had something to say. 
Doesn't that put us to shame? Could one reason be why the church is losing her power in our generation? Could it be because we have lost something of the wonder of the gospel and of the love of God. Moody said, and this was a man who knew the gospel, he was a successful evangelist, and he said, my view of the love of God was completely changed that one night. So, the love of God the Father, who is this gift from? It's from God the Father, and we should never doubt the love of God the Father towards us. Uh, I like this poem, I don't think it's a hymn, it puts it like this. The love of God is greater than any tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the oceans fill? And were the skins of parchments made when every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. And you know what? Eternity is going to be too short to sing of the love of God. So that's who it's from. God the Father. God loves you. I can say that. I can say that with 100% certainty. Now, the next thing you do when you receive a gift, what do you do? Well, you look to see who it's for. Because it may not be for you. So when my sister's children are opening the gifts, it's not for them. It's, it's for pastor. So who is this gift for? For God so loved the world. The world. Now what is this? The world. The world here doesn't mean the creation. Uh, it doesn't mean uh, the work of God's hands, uh, the sky, the trees, uh, the mountains. It's not that. Sometimes the world means that in the Bible, but here, and this is what's amazing about the love of God, the world is the system that's in opposition to God. So the world is the mindsets that's contrary to God. The world is the unbelieving world. Let, let, let me mention what John has said about the world so far, and it's not very kind. <laughs> what the world likes to do is pat itself on its back. That will be happening in the Oscar ceremony tonight, won't it? But God doesn't do that. Listen, this is how God describes the world. In John chapter 1, this is what God said of the world. It's dark. It's dark, spiritually dark. And then what else does he say in John chapter 1 about the world? The world received him not. What else does he say about the world? Later on in chapter 3, Nicodemus will hear this. This is the condemnation that the light, Jesus, has come into the world. And men, the world now, love darkness rather than light because their deeds 
were evil. The Bible doesn't pat you on your back. It tells you how it really is. What else does John say about the world? Uh, much later on in his gospel. What are we going to see the world doing? The world is going to crucify the Prince of Glory. The world and the religious world more than any is going to spit in his pure face and it's going to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. The world hates God. And it's a wonderful thing that God, instead of saying, just go away from me, you don't deserve this, with open arms, offers a gift, loves this world. Spurgeon, he knew something about the love of God. It's a very wonderful thing, especially when we see it set upon a lost, ruined, guilty world. What was there in the world that God should love it? There was nothing lovable in it. Have you heard the greatest sermon ever preached? It's not this one. <laughs> There is a sermon online by Paris Reedhead, and it's called The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached. I don't know why. And the preacher shares an experience. Uh, when he was a missionary, he went uh, to uh, a dark corner of the world, spiritually dark. And he thought it was a wonderful thing becoming a missionary because he was going to tell these people about how much God loved them. And he thought all these people were going to love hearing about God's love. And they were all going to believe the gospel. Uh, there was going to be a revival. Well, very soon that person realized that they did not want to hear the gospel. They did not appreciate hearing how much God loved them. And the poor man had a crisis. He had a crisis. And it's good to have a crisis. Because when we have a crisis, God meets with us and God met with him and God said to him, listen, I haven't called you to take the gospel to those people because they deserve to hear. I haven't called you to preach the gospel to people because I want you to be successful. I have called you to take the gospel to people who don't want to hear because that's the glory of my love. I love the loveless. I love mine enemies. And if you're a hardened sinner this morning, don't be surprised if God breaks your heart and turns you to Jesus Christ because such is his love. It's not a sentimental love. It's a love that's as strong as death. And there's something else here as well. Nicodemus was hearing this. Why am I saying that? What's the significance about that? Nicodemus was a Jew. What was true of the Jews in Jesus' day, especially the religious leaders? Well, they thought that God didn't love the Gentiles. They thought that God only loved them. Indeed, they called the Gentiles dogs, and that wasn't a term of endearment, right? They, they, they were outsiders. They were outcasts. 
And this would have come as a shock to Nicodemus. He was hearing the Messiah say, God loves you, Jews, yes, but he loves the world. He loves the dogs. That would have been a shock. It's like um, uh, John Wesley uh, saying to somebody, uh, I want to go and preach in Newcastle. This was the 18th century. And the person said to Wesley, why do you want to go and preach in Newcastle? It's a horrible place. This was the 18th century. It's a wicked city. Wicked in the Bible sense now. The people are bad there. Wesley said, that's why I want to go and preach the gospel to Newcastle. I remember taking Bible studies in a church in Blackpool. Blackpool Baptist Tabernacle. Vince Tracy's the pastor there. And that church's in the red light district of Blackpool. Why is a church in such a place? Shouldn't a church be in the leafy suburbs of Blackpool? Well, it should be as well. <laughs> but it's in the red light district because God so loved the world. The world. Uh, what did we sing? Did, did you take note of the children's song? It is a thing most wonderful. Almost too wonderful to be. That God's own son should come from heaven. And die to save a child like me. And yet I know that it is true. He came to this poor world below. And wept and toiled and mourned and died. Only because he loved us so. I cannot tell how he could love. Don't just say child, but put your name there. How he could love a person like me, so weak and full of sin. His love must be most wonderful if he could die. My love to win. I've got to stop there. I, I haven't even started the sermon, but time has gone. But do you realize that God so loved even a sinner like you, God the Father, as well as God the Son, that he gave. Let me just give you the gospel in a nutshell, that he gave his one and only Son, not just to live as your substitute, to live the perfect life in your place, but to die on that cross, to take uh, all the punishments which we deserve, which a holy God must meet out on sin. And he, with open arms, took it upon the cross so that we could be forgiven. O oh, wonder of wonders. And he still has those open arms today. Uh, it's not just everybody in this church that's invited. That's good to hear, isn't it? Uh, ben and Jai's wedding. We're all invited. Well, everybody's invited to Jesus Christ.
come and believe in him and just thank him for loving somebody like you. And then, do you know what you'll want to do? You'll want to tell other people then who are not that worthy of love either that you found somebody who loves sinners and you want to tell them. What's the verse for this week? I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And may many such people turn to Jesus Christ, even here this morning, for his name's sake. We'll sing. We'll need to go back to John 3.16, God willing, next Sunday. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us, for me, his precious blood. Who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise. Uh, let's sing his praise. And it's the version in the supplement, so it's got two extra stanzas, which is our response to that love.
Father in heaven, forgive us for having such measly view of thy love and for doubting that thou couldst love sinners like us. Lord, we thank thee for a love that is holy and as strong as death, even needing the death of thine only begotten Son so that our sin can be dealt with. But we thank thee, Lord, that he loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah, what a saviour. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the sweet influences of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forever. Amen.